0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week...
2: What you could have done is gone, mate, if I see one of you on the road doing anything unlawful, you're in the cells.
1: We look at how the angst in the media over so-called iwi checkpoints ended up obscuring the reason they were proposed in the first place. But first this week, when a high achiever in any field dies young, the sadness is deep and the emotions are raw. And how it gets reported always runs the risk of a backlash against the media.
2: Since Olivia Podmore's tragic death last
1: week, we've been inundated with calls and messages saying enough is enough.
0: Athletes, employees, sponsors and parents, all united in the fact something has to change in the high-performance arena and in cycling, and people are willing to speak out.
1: That was TVNZ's Andrew Saville on One News back in August on the reaction to the shocking news that one of our young Olympians had died at just 24 years of age just after the Olympics wrapped up in Tokyo. Cyclist Olivia Podmore didn't compete in those games, but she did in Rio in 2016, where it didn't go well for her. And since then, it's become clear that things weren't going well for her personally at that time either, or after that. In a social media post just before her death, she spoke of the heavy demands of high-performance sport and worries about the welfare of fellow full-time cyclists. And TVNZ's Abby Wilson went on to say that she hoped whistleblowers and the media shedding light on this might bring about change. Their teammates who are still part of the programme and who they hope will benefit from real change. It's one of the reasons why we're telling these stories is that we hope those in power are listening to what the athletes have to say. Well this week a coach at Cycling New Zealand resigned and he was the third senior figure in just two weeks to do so against the backdrop of an ongoing independent review prompted by Olivia Podmore's death. Alongside that is what must be a complex coronial inquiry which will shed more light on why Olivia Podmore died when she did last August. But two weekends ago, the Weekend Herald did that too, publishing an investigation into her life and death, which filled four pages of the paper, as well as the front page, which said bluntly that she had become, in its words, part of the country's appalling suicide numbers. Now, while Olivia Podmore was an extraordinary achiever in sport, the paper said the problems she faced confront many other young people too. And it also echoed the response to the sudden death of another young achiever late last month.
3: A tragic reminder of the pressures entrepreneurs face. Founder of Unfiltered and Umpha, Jake Miller, died this week while working in Kenya. The 26-year-old ran into some trouble with Unfiltered. Jamie Beaton, the founder of Crimson Education, says Jake Miller was a tall poppy who had some struggles along the
1: way. Jake Miller's friend and fellow young Kiwi entrepreneur Jamie Beaton said more on News Talk ZB that day to the morning host Mike Hosking, who also spoke of tall poppies getting cut down.
3: And a lot of the I think negativity that really you know feeds around failure in New Zealand probably played a bit of a role in his psychology, and um, I think he probably felt quite isolated.
1: Now Jake Miller's failed business Unfiltered was an unusual one. It was an online service offering long interviews, mostly conducted by Jake Miller himself, with other business people and innovators and investors. They were supposed to be inspirational and helpful for others in business, and some of the subjects of them even invested in Unfiltered itself, and by extension in Jake Miller, alongside venture capital funds who put in millions in total as well a crown agency, New Zealand Venture Investment Funds took a stake in it too, and New Zealand Trade and Enterprise and the University of Auckland's business school also backed Unfiltered. But some investors lost faith in it last year, and in February this year, the NBR reported that some high-net-worth Kiwis were out of pocket and angry when Jake Miller suddenly and without warning anyone sold Unfiltered to Jamie Beaton's own startup Crimson for just 60,000 US dollars and some shares. Now, that was quite a story for the media by any measure. The Herald's investigations reporter Matt Nippet labeled it a garage sale under the headline, From Hype to Gripe. And the NBR pointed out that both Crimson and Unfiltered had claimed wage subsidies in 2020, despite backing from American billionaire Julian Robertson and two venture capital funds and former Prime Minister Sir John Key. And the fact that Jake Miller had apparently taken off to Kenya and then gone incommunicado heightened the media's interest in what had gone wrong. But the next time Jake Miller made the news was when he died late last month. Now Jamie Beaton of Crimson didn't say so to Mike Hosking on the radio last week, but in the online business forum LinkedIn, he claimed New Zealand news media had targeted Jake Miller, especially the National Business Review, whose owner Todd Scott had aggressively pursued Jake Miller to go on the record about the unravelling of Unfiltered. Others then urged NBR customers to cancel their subscriptions over this, and the founder of online businesses NZ Girl and Flossie, Janine Crossan, even claimed that she had pleaded with reporters to back off Jake Miller earlier this year. Instead, she said, they reported on what she called an otherwise pretty ordinary and quite vanilla-flavoured business failure with spectacular delight, and she added, We should not revere or create
0: commentators out of people who are not capable of nurturing and learning but
1: that's not really in business reporters' job descriptions. But the wildest spray at the media on LinkedIn came from the medical innovator Sir Ray Avery, who of course had his own run-ins with the media over recent years. He condemned what he called clickbait assassination journalism and claimed that Miller himself had told him that a tsunami of media attention here had driven him away and, according to Ray Avery, to his death. But all this prompted pushback from others on the same forum. Former TVNZ journalist Lisa Glass, for example, now a PR professional, replied like this. Fair and
0: balanced reporting should not be stifled, nor should honourable and genuine reporters be tarred like this. Even if you genuinely believe this young man was driven out by the media, labelling individuals as the cause of complex personal tragedies is both unhelpful
1: and cruel. And the former journalist turned tech sector PR man Paul Brislin said that people in business need to understand the job of media. It's not about cheerleading.
0: It's not about advertising. It's not about promoting you or your products. It's about holding power to account. Blaming journalists for that really misses the point of what journalists do and why it's important. And before the failure of Unfiltered, there was
1: plenty of media coverage acknowledging the success of Jake Miller. Here he is getting a congratulatory chat on Morning Report after Forbes picked him as one of 30 entrepreneurs under the age of 30 two years ago.
0: You're looking through these lists to find um, cool interview subjects and now you're on the list. Yes, it was pretty surreal yesterday because we have spent a lot of time combing through the 30 other 30 over the years and trying to work out who to interview next. And
1: And two years ago, Miller also seemed to enjoy a chat with the NBR's Dita Deboni, one of the reporters now copping blowback from Miller's angry friends and supporters.
0: I commend your business acumen, but I am curious to know what you offer that is different from... uh multitudinous TED
2: Talks um, and other similar things. I mean, the market you're moving into is pretty crowded.
0: Yes. So there's a couple of things. Firstly, there's a lot of advice out there and, you know, gurus and academics talking about, uh, you know, business practices and, and so on. Um, and honestly, a lot of that's not engaging. The completion rate with uh, a lot of these online courses is terrible, with some studies listing completion, completion rates at around 4%. Well, there, Dita
1: Boni was gently but fairly probing the soundness of his business model, just as you imagine investors doing due diligence would have done, or even some of those tycoons that Jake Miller wanted to use to create his content. And he seemed entirely comfortable with the question. And the interview ended with Jake Miller thanking Dita Davoni for her time and her interest. And when Mike Hosking went to New York a few years ago, he made a point of seeking out and sitting down with the young Jamie Beaton for a video interview all about the success of Crimson so far.
2: Jamie, terrific to catch up with you. Do you ever see Robert De Niro? Isn't he supposed to be here? I haven't seen him yet, but I've heard heard he's in town. (laughs) Talk to me about your business. Where are you at?
0: So uh, it's very exciting. We just finished a big Series B round. We raised $30 million US from an awesome VC called Tiger Global. And that's really going to help us with ramping up our
1: technology. But last week, just two days after lashing the media for their reporting of Jake Miller, Jamie Beaton reconsidered his position and told his LinkedIn followers this. And as an entrepreneur, if we
0: seek coverage for our wins, then we have to front up to our losses. I know this better than most and understand the trade we make. But plenty of the people who put their names to some
1: wild criticisms of the media on LinkedIn in recent days clearly didn't. Peter Griffin is a technology writer who published his own thoughts on all that last week on Business Desk under the headline Lessons from the Death of a Startup Founder. He said that some young entrepreneurs do face what he called silent despair and the risk and the prospect of failure being exposed and amplified as part of that. But telling it like it is, is the media's job. So is that really their problem?
3: By and large, of all the stories that I read about the collapse of unfiltered I think it was fair. There was one instance of media behavior uh, that involved a message the publisher of the National Business Review sent to Jake, which wasn't published in any newspaper or anything like that. Um, It was subsequently on Twitter just in the last week. This message crossed the line into bullying behavior. It was unacceptable. Um, And I think the publisher accepts that now that that was a really um, poor thing to do. That aside, you know, when I've reread all of these stories about the collapse of unfiltered, I think by and large it, it was reasonable. What surprises many people, I think, is the amount of coverage. You know this was a relatively small startup, a few million dollars were involved, um but a lot of big names. What journalists latched onto with this story is really that contrast between, you know here's a guy who um, has this incredible network of of successful people. Yet something went wrong in the culture of this business that led to its own failure. Uh, he had all these people around him, but ultimately he felt the weight of the world on on his shoulders to to make sure that this company succeeded. And if you court the media and the hype that goes with it, you know, on the way up, uh, you are going to face a lot more scrutiny when things fail.
1: Yeah, and there is that principle, especially in business journalism, of this: if something looks not quite right from the outside. Some of the people that reacted very badly uh, to the media reporting of Unfiltered said they keep using this phrase tall poppy, the media are actually out to get or cut down tall poppies. Do you get any sense of that, not just in relation to Jake Miller, but in general, startups, are the media kind of out to scrutinise or get them?
3: Look, I just don't see it, you know, and I, I am a journalist, so I'm coming at it through that lens, but I just don't think there is a culture where we are looking to take down our business people. I mean, if you look at what's happened in New Zealand in in the last year, it's been probably the most successful year for these sorts of companies in the history of our country. We've had rocket lab list on the NASDAQ, Allbirds list on the NASDAQ. We've had all of these amazing exits from Vend and uh, Ninja Kiwi and timely. This has all been celebrated uh, in the media, but Along the way, there are legitimate questions that need to be answered. For instance, Rocket Lab had a lot of questions about the military contracts that it's engaged in and um, how much money the government has pumped into the space industry that benefits uh, Rocket Lab. There's been questions raised about the work culture at Rocket Lab. Peter Beck and the people there have responded. I think the business media in particular in, in New Zealand celebrates success and sees rightly that this is a very important part of the economy and the media is, is a cheerleader for that, but they still have to ask those hard questions along the way. And I think, by and large, the ones who really have succeeded in recent times understand that.
1: The entrepreneurs and people doing these startups they must be highly educated, very clever people um, who must pay at least some attention to the news media. Do they really not understand how it works? Can they really be surprised that media will scrutinise a company like Unfiltered when it looks like things are going wrong?
3: I think it's just really different cultures. You know, a lot of the the startup people that that I um, uh, interview from time to time and talk to, they're head down in their businesses. They don't have a heck of a lot of time to really uh, engage with the media other than in a transactional way when they need to sell their product or raise money. And they're on this cycle. You know, these are very high growth companies, they get this sort of view in their mind that the media is a tool for me to exploit rather than being something for me to genuinely engage with, build relationships with journalists and be prepared for scrutiny. There's an immaturity around the approach to media that that really needs to be addressed.
1: Yeah, you wrote about that relationship in your business desk piece. You said entrepreneurs want exposure for their venture and trusted outlets in the media because they draw a large audience in return Journalists and the editors want authentic and newsworthy stories charting the progress of New Zealanders in business um, and they want access to the personalities behind them. And you said, by and large, this works well. Um, so obviously emotions were raw after Jake Miller died, but the hostility towards media that was expressed straight away kind of says to me that they don't quite understand what that bargain or that relationship is.
3: Yeah, that nails it really. You know, really emotional stuff, and and a lot of confirmation bias from people who contacted me directly and said, "Well, I've been through this as well." It's a very uncomfortable thing to be in the media spotlight, and I think when you look at all of this coverage, you pour over every single word, and that stuff really stays with you. And you know, I've been talking to, for instance, Sarai Avery, a re- great inventor, and philanthropist in New Zealand, but a few years back, Newsroom really called him out on some of his business activities and some of the claims he was making. And there were some genuine questions there, and that stood up to media council complaints um, and legal challenges that reporting still stands. And saray has never been, been able to come to grips with that, that uh, the media challenged him after years of, of very positive media coverage. And I think that is what a lot of people can't deal with is um, once they've been through the the fire, taking an objective view of what the media is there to do.
1: When you were, say, running the Science Media Centre uh, previously, you tried to uh, train scientists who may not be media savvy or even particularly media aware. Is there something uh, needed for entrepreneurs, uh, particularly those you know working in small companies, possibly even on
3: their own? I think that would be hugely valuable. What I saw a decade ago when we set up the Science Media Center was there was this huge distrust between scientists and the media. The scientists saw the media getting science stories wrong or or beating up science stories. The media thought that scientists just couldn't communicate very effectively. So we we did all of these workshops and, and just demystified the media for scientists. And, you know, so 10 years later, Uh, Nearly a 1,000 people have been through that program. A lot of the people you see commenting about COVID at the moment have, have done that sort of training. And trust in scientists in New Zealand is very high. I think that's part of it. If we could do something similar for our young tech founders at an early stage where we sit them down, we introduce them to the people who are going to be covering their companies on the way up, but also say to them, don't feel like you need to be a media darling from day one. It doesn't all need to be on your shoulders. A lot of our, our best entrepreneurs don't have that much media exposure. They they focus on their business and the results speak for themselves. And and that I think is is a really good lesson. Um, we're influenced by I think American startup culture, where uh, a lot of these young people are, are in the business media, in TechCrunch and the Wall Street Journal from a very early stage, pumping up their business that creates huge expectation and huge pressure on on these people. And we've seen lots of instances now where that becomes too much for them. So the message is you don't have to pursue that from day one.
1: Yes, Duncan Grieve, the uh, editor and indeed the founder of uh, The spinoff, off which is a digital age media startup of his own, um, he wrote about this saying that this focus on the founder of these businesses, on the individual Uh, is unhelpful. Uh, And this goes right to the top. Huge companies. Facebook, very much identified with Mark Zuckerberg, but of course it's an enormous company with all sorts of professionals and executives working for it now. But when things go wrong, a a lot of this is, is sheeted home to the individual or the founder. He made a good point, I think, about the media, saying that the whole process is very amplified when you get investments from the rich, prominent and powerful, which was the case with Unfiltered. And he said... Jake Miller was subjected to a lot of intense critiques, but almost no focus on all the investors who talked the business up and talked him up. Um, nothing at all heard from them. Is that something the media could address that actually don't just zero in on the founder, uh, do look at the people who are perhaps um, enabling investing and um, in talking about the company too?
3: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's an incredibly lonely thing, and the, the media is is guilty of, for, for you know, for practical considerations of focusing on one personality who's the ceo who's the founder who's the person behind this and look in, in Unfiltered's case there was a co-founder there jake had someone else with with them who who really never got any media exposure having some of them stepping up and and um and being involved and and taking some of the burden off jake i think would have been uh, really useful and, and any startup should, should have that. Um, encouraging startups that actually have two or three strong people who can share the burden, um, particularly when it comes to the public exposure, the marketing and the media that goes with starting a, a high growth business.
1: Well, all of this, I think, was discussed by some people in um, the tech and business startup world over the weekend. They don't want this to happen again. Looking at it from the media's point of view, if you do have a business, it does have a flamboyant front person. I mean, To kind of put it bluntly, if that's the way things are structured, it's not really the media's problem. Is it anything the way the media conduct themselves or report on these companies, they really need to change?
3: It's been pointed out quite rightly in the last week that, you know, entrepreneurs are a sort of a special breed. There is research that suggests that they may be prone to ADHD, for instance, um, more likely to be on the spectrum, that sort of thing. So... um, you know, there there needs to be that awareness uh, among journalists that you're you're dealing with people here who are under incredible pressure. If you do find out information that someone is really struggling, that is the right time to be publishing an article that could have serious consequences for their mental health. And uh, the way to tackle that, I think, is to try and separate out the founder from the business to a greater extent. Often they are yeah, intertwined to a great degree sometimes the founder is the business and in, in many respects that was the case with unfiltered yeah but
1: business journalists aren't psychologists and they're certainly not counsellors how are they supposed to yeah. work out where you know there's there's a danger sign and where where there's something they publish might might have a real risk to the subject of the story
3: well i think you know if 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 you get direct knowledge that there is potential harm in publishing something I, you know that would give me pause to think about that could this be delayed or could we defer this or or, or phrase it in a different way or have someone else front the story from the organization maybe one of those investors or or someone like that so i think if there's direct harm and we do see this in in other areas in sports and in celebrity where the media will make those allowances. But ultimately, that cannot stop at some point the high questions that need to be asked.
1: In one of the commentaries published after uh, the death of Jake Miller, uh, this is Andrew Barnes, founder of Perpetual Guardian, uh, writing for in The Herald. Um, He said, If our attitude in New Zealand business and media culture is that failure is unacceptable and it will be mocked and punished brutally, those are his words, uh, we will make Kiwi entrepreneurship extinct and fast. We will not have innovation. We will not grow. The brain drain will accelerate. Forget about opportunities for startup investment um, and new industry development of any kind of pace in economic recovery. I mean, that is a lot to push on to, you know, a, a kind of vaguely identified media culture. I mean, can journalists, editors really have that all in mind? That, that it seems to me unfair to lay at their doorstep Um that you know they're stifling innovation and and that and that some startups may never get off the ground if they write about them in a in a critical or um or or sceptical way.
3: I just don't think what what Andrew is saying is borne out by the f- the facts. I agree that we need to foster innovation, but I really don't believe there's a culture in the media that if you fail, you'll be mocked and punished brutally. I do not see that happening, particularly with the startups that are in the spotlight at the moment that are doing great things and are um, moving to become exporters very quickly. We just do not not see that. I know most of the reporters in the country who cover that sector, and uh, that's not their intention. So I don't know where that is coming from. And again, I think that might be the confirmation bias of someone who's been through a media storm in the past. Um, But then, yeah, Andrew had a great run in the media when perpetual guardian moved to its four day week full. Exactly.
1: Um, That's how I know of him. The the four day week guy, you know, and and I get that. I don't follow business news all that closely. And I know that of him because that was something the media latched onto. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. So, so I think, you know, that you you have to accept that the media is coming to this from a genuine place And, and we do have ethical standards in the media People who are covered by the media have recourse to the Media Council, the Broadcasting Standards Authority. We all have ethical standards and charters that we we must adhere to. So I think the system is good. It's just these two cultures that don't quite understand each other.
1: And finally, uh, Peter, a lot of the more intemperate comments and a lot of the emotion expressed about this from people in the business and tech world uh, was on the forum LinkedIn. It's a business kind of social media platform, a big media product of its own now, I think, owned by Microsoft. These are people in business with their names and their profiles attached to it, making some very harsh comments uh, about the media, very angry comments. Um, is the heat really being turned up in, in that particular platform now? And there's, there's something going on you know, in business that perhaps reflects increasing levels of anger expressed online, and we're seeing it now in that particular forum?
3: There definitely is something going on with LinkedIn, and LinkedIn itself has identified this. So most of them use it as their default sort of resume. Uh, That's where you list all the things that you've done in the past. You're advertising yourself. And for, for years, really, that's what its primary purpose was. It's become, in the last few years, much more of a social network. So I think we're seeing this across the world where, particularly with COVID, with the lockdowns, a lot of business people are quite you know, libertarian in their outlook are uh, upset about the restrictions. Some of the businesses have been devastated by by COVID restrictions. So I'm starting to see now, um, you know, my network is mainly tech and science people. I'm starting to see, you know, a, a plumber from Tauranga appearing in, in my newsfeed with 3,000 comments on his posts, you know, railing against COVID passports or something like that. It's never happened before. And that is the algorithms that underpin this network like any other social network, elevating that stuff because the technology is saying this is where the conversation is happening. And I don't want to see this stuff. What people re- need to realize is is how damaging that can be for your reputation. This is your background, your history, your reputation on the line. If you really start getting intemperate and uh, inappropriate on LinkedIn, everyone is going to see that and that could have serious consequences for your reputation. That was
1: Peter Griffin, technology journalist and commentator who reflected on the lessons from the recent death of Jake Miller and the coverage of it on the Business Desk site last week. There's a link to that and more coverage of the issue in the online version of the story. It's on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website. Last weekend here on Media Watch, we heard how excited the media were by blood on the caucus room floor as the National Party picked a new leader. And this week, they were excited about more bloodshed at the first Ardern versus Luxon question time at Parliament.
2: Labour, on the other hand, will be wanting to bloody Luxon's nose early. They'll be wanting to knock him off balance.
1: Now, when it was all over, News Talk ZB's Heather Duplessy-Allen said that Christopher Luxon messed up by raising the single biggest subject in New Zealand life and society right now.
0: COVID is her mastermind topic. She's talked about almost nothing else for 18 months. So unless you got the stuff up your sleeve, you probably don't go anywhere near COVID with Jacinda Ardern. That was a mistake.
1: But she went on to say that it didn't really matter anyway because... This is Beltway stuff.
0: Most of New Zealand was not tuned in for question time today.
1: Though for something no one cares about beyond the Beltway, apparently those talk radio hosts were certainly pretty excited.
0: I've
2: ordered the popcorn in. And I'm excited to see Parliament as it should be. Government versus opposition. Game on.
1: Hayden Donnell took a look at all that with Karen Hay on The Lately Show in Midweek Media Watch this week. And he also took on the issue that surged to the top of the news agenda late last week, the great service station sausage roll scandal of 2021.
0: I could have chosen something else. I suppose I could have had a meat pie. But the thing about the sausage rolls is that it was two or three bites. I didn't want something big.
1: It's Midweek Media Watch, available for you if you missed it on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website, our section of the RNZ app, or it's in our podcast feed, available wherever you get your podcasts. One of the hot topics this week in the news was the so-called iwi checkpoints to keep unvaccinated travellers out of Northland from next week and the agreement that police reached with local Māori. Hone Harawera, leader of the Te Tai Tokaro Border Control Organisation, told the media that they are necessary because of low COVID vaccination rates in the region that put people at risk of contracting COVID. That's something that moved Stuff's Tao Māori editor, Carmen Parahi, to tears when she appeared in the end-of-year News Hub Nation show on three last weekend. My concern about this summer is that once you open the uh, floodgates and let all the Aucklanders out um, with uh, Delta, that um, it'll go into our vulnerable communities around the country. There are many Māori that I've spoken to, uh, health experts as well,
2: even journalists who have had tears and are concerned about unvaccinated communities, mainly Māori communities, out in rural New Zealand. Right. OK. Even myself. Even it's yourself. ridiculous. OK. So we have high rates of asthma. We have poor housing. There are so many social issues that governments of the past have never, ever fixed in our rural communities. And now Delta will hit those communities. That's what the fear is.
1: However, two days earlier, it was a complete contrast on News Talk ZB where Mike Hosking told his listeners Hone Harawira's claims shouldn't even be reported by media organisations, including his own.
2: I don't care that Maori is seven times more likely to catch COVID. That's only if you're unvaccinated. Six times more likely to be hospitalised. That's only if you're unvaccinated. Four times more likely to die from COVID. That's only if you're unvaccinated. The answer's been in your hands the whole time. Has been all year. We've thrown in excess, at my last count, in excess of $200 million at Maori and Maori alone to get vaccinated with specialist programs and ideas. And all of these people have been out there and they still haven't been able to do their job properly. And you can argue to your blue in the face as to why it was and what it was. and But at the end of the day, you've had the opportunity to solve your own problem. You haven't solved your own problem and now you want to take the law into your hands. Is that the New Zealand you want?
1: Now that followed a cranky encounter with the Police Commissioner Andrew Costa who tried to tell Mike Hosking that in the circumstances this might actually be the best way of keeping the traffic moving after the 15th of December.
3: I'm confident we can avoid unlawful activity which could very realistically have turned State Highway 1
2: into a car park. So um, this is actually about avoiding unlawfulness because...
3: We are... um, By acquiescing um, to them. What you could
2: have done is gone, mate, if I see one of you on the road doing anything unlawful, you're in the cells. That's what you could have done. That was your alternative, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think we know what that looks like. You Yeah, it looks like the law uh, being enforced.
1: And as the police commissioner then tried to explain to Mike Hosking, the law has actually been changed to allow this partnership, and the rules that really need to be enforced are the ones preventing untested and unvaxxed travellers getting out of Auckland. Now, last Thursday, Mike Hosking was back on the air complaining to his listeners about summer events that were
2: cancelled under the new traffic light rules, and he said it wasn't fair. The hospital system isn't strained anywhere. So why red? Because they will argue of vulnerable populations. Vulnerable populations will seemingly always be vulnerable, so does that mean red forever? And he couldn't resist finishing on this note. If you want a Kiwi summer, get jabbed. Not so. If you want to get back to doing the things you love, not so. Oh, and toss in some Maori roadblocks, for good measure. But Mike Hosking was far from the only voice on his network
1: this week, amplifying the angst about checkpoints, or roadblocks as Mike Hosking called them, popping up next week under the traffic light system. On Monday, Heather Duplessis Allen asked political editor at ZB Barry Soper this question.
0: Barry, can you imagine a scenario in which the farmers of Northland ask the police to set up checkpoints because they're vulnerable farmers?
1: No, I can't. No, exactly. Thank you. Well, farmers did block the roads all over the country in July and then again just three weekends ago for their groundswell protests. And ZB even made a bit of money out of that by running a nationwide address for the groundswell farmers during their mother-of-all protests, as NZME's Jamie Mackay told Heather Duplessy-Ellen on her show last month.
3: Yeah, it's good for News Talk ZB,
2: our station, because they're going to drive into town in their tractors and utes and they're going to roll down the windows... And play a pre recorded message on News Talk ZB uh,
3: for 90 seconds and then stand there in, in solidarity.
1: Most of the ZB on air hosts backed Groundswell's protests, even though they disrupted people's travel, because they said the farmers' enough is enough message was one that the government really needed to hear. But those worried about the slow rollout and low vaccination rates for Māori have similar feelings about the importance of their concerns, as TVNZ1 viewers saw on Wednesday.
3: Our top health official recommended the checkpoints go, saying in an affidavit to the Waitangi Tribunal, the hard or enforced border should be removed when Auckland and the rest of the country move to the COVID protection framework or traffic light system, likely in mid-December
1: but that took up a lot less airtime this week than the anger about the so-called iwi checkpoints, even though it is still, of course, the police who are really in charge. Now, the reason for that evidence to the Waitangi Tribunal, featured in TVNZ1 News there, was its urgent inquiry into whether the Delta outbreak response has failed Māori, or even breached Te Tiriti o Waitangi, as TVNZ's Te Huri explained on 1 News last Wednesday.
3: Now the vaccine rollout largely prioritised groups based on age. For Māori, the
0: largest portion of the population are young people. That meant that more than
1: 90% of Māori only became eligible for the vaccine in September. Māori leaders have told the tribunal that simply did not give health providers enough time to prepare
0: and get their people vaccinated before the government began easing lockdown restrictions across the country. Of course, when those restrictions did ease, particularly particularly in
3: Auckland, COVID-19 infections among Māori surged and they've been climbing ever since.
1: That's the flip side to Mike Hosking arguing you had your chance on News Talk ZB and others in the media complaining that unvaccinated Northlanders are holding the region hostage for summer. On Heather Duplessy-Allen's daily discussion of the issues in the news on Newstalk ZB called The Huddle, left-leaning PR man Hayden Munro tried to tell her last Thursday unvaccinated people is a real issue.
2: I know it seems like small numbers to people from the big cities, but when it's like a quarter of your community, that actually does really matter. And I I, I just think, I think it's a little, I just wanted to make a little stand for for
0: small towns around the country. (laughs) People people there still matter, even if there aren't a lot of them.
1: But that cut little ice with her or her fellow ZB host in the huddle that day, Tim Beveridge, who made this confident and dismissive claim. We're just getting all a bit carried away with asserting our rights and all this sort of thing, and it's just, you know, The big picture, no-one's really going to get sick in large numbers in any of these areas. Yeah, fair point. In an online article for TBNZ, its Māori Issues correspondent Te Hurihanganui said that Māori are no longer shouting their grievances into a void about key decisions that were made without Māori input, and next week the Waitangi Tribunal will rule on that issue. It remains to be seen, though, if that outcome cuts through the yelling into the void about possible checkpoints on the roads north of Auckland, staffed by police and some local iwi, on or after next Wednesday. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend. We'll be back again with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night with Midweek Media Watch on Karen Hayes' Lately Show, and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.